Welcome, 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 everybody. My name is Kayshawn, the host of the Social Dance Day podcast. I just wanted to put this pre-show together to tell you a couple things about our brand. Social Dance Theory looks to inspire everyone to start on their journey of social dancing, whether that means that you're coming from a ballroom dance studio or a street swing or street dance background, or if you're coming from other disciplines, all people are welcome. We are looking to spread the joy of social dance theory through the streets, through America, through the world. And we are using this podcast to do that. You can find us on social media at Social Dance Theory for Facebook or Instagram. Eventually we'll have a TikTok as well. But for now, I just wanted to say welcome and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of the Social Dance 3 podcast. My name is Kayshawn, and boy, am I excited. Can I tell you how good it feels to finally be able to start this series? I, for the last seven years, have wanted to produce some kind of media around ballroom dancing and social dancing because I love it. It's my whole life. And I just want all of the viewers, all of the listeners of this experience to share in that joy. I want other dancers to be able to have a platform for discussing social dancing, not just ballroom dancing. There's a lot of shows based around like news and competition news related to ballroom dancing. And that's one one sect. But I don't I don't necessarily want to get into that 100 percent. I want to get into the full realm. Musica, baile. Uh, uh, comida, everything that has to do with culture, cultura, that's what we want to do on this podcast, and I'm super duper excited. So with that being said, the first episode today is going to go into my background as a dancer, as an instructor, and also bringing in some other key points on how to start your dance journey. So to start off, again, like I said, my name is Kayshawn. I've been dancing for seven years now. I started out as an actor and then quickly realized that I needed to hone my dance skills. All the kids around me in middle school and high school were taking tap dance classes and ballet classes through local studios, and I just couldn't do that with how I grew up. Uh, My parents did not have the money, or my parent, I should say, did not have the money to make that happen, and so I was often feeling bad because I could act, I could sing, and I kept on getting cast in in roles and in musicals, but I could not, for the life of me, get my feet and my body to work the way that I wanted to. And so my senior year here in Idaho, which is where I'm based out of, we have something called the Senior Project. I'm not sure if other schools around the nation have that, but we have to choose a project to work on our senior year, and I chose learning how to dance. And so I joined my school's drill team. Now, if you don't know what a drill team is, it's essentially a performance team that's kind of based in the tradition of of the military, actually drilling down left face, right face, about face. That's where the namesake, I think, comes from. But there are multiple categories of dance that you can do on said teams. The one that I excelled at was military because that's the one I could learn fast enough for that year. But there's also hip hop, lyrical, jazz, prop and uh, solo routines, things like that. And so 
I was able to join my school's drill team as well as kind of a back spot on the cheer squad. So that's kind of fun. And the latter half of that year, I found a crumpled up piece of paper in a trash can that said teen ballroom dance lessons. And I had context for that. I had dated a gal my sophomore year of high school that introduced me to Patrick Swayze's Dirty Dancing, and I thought that that was so cool. I remember my eyes lighting up when I watched that movie, and I'm like, man, that must be how you get chicks, huh? Being able to salsa dance, that would be awesome. It was so romantic to me, and so the context was already there in my brain. So by the time I found this this piece of paper, I was like, man, I got to do that. That's the opportunity of a lifetime. And funny enough, as I read the address on that paper, I realized that the studio was a block away from my house. I literally had to walk across a field, across a major highway, and then I was at the place. And so that Saturday, I went to the free teen ballroom dance class that was at that studio. And the rest is history. I was able to talk with the instructors there and it just so happened that the instructor was from Chicago. He worked at a Fred Astaire franchise dance studios and he was a juggler in the circus for six years before that. He had a bachelor's degree in musical theater. So it was like this godsend opportunity that I could not turn down. So I started coming around the teen class more and more each Saturday. And then eventually he approached me and he said, hey, look, man, I'm looking to become a pastor. My wife is pregnant with our first child and we don't really have time to run the social class anymore. So would you and your partner be interested in in teaching this class? And I said, of course, man, of course, I'd love to do that. I had been thinking about because the way it was set up is it's kind of like a church and a fitness center, right? So the, the business model is for the fitness center to kind of fund the church and then they work independently with one another and the dance classes were just a facet of that. And so I had been thinking of even becoming a worker at the church side of things so I could just get closer to this, um, idea of, of ballroom dancing. And so I did that. I, took the opportunity. I became a janitor on the fitness side of things. And I started the training process to begin to teach dance. And so from that point on, I was able to learn from them and take over the beginner classes. And I really thought that I was hot stuff. I mean, I remember thinking in in the town in Idaho that I'm based out of, I remember thinking, man, nobody around this town knows how to dance like I know how to dance. I got really good at it over that summertime and I decided that I was the best in the world at what I was doing until I went and attended a swing festival or a jazz festival in a village that's, you know, about a hundred miles away from where I live. And I had my mind blown. I tried to compete in the little Jack and Joe competition that was going on in this festival. And I got smoked. I got my butt kicked by everyone in that festival. I was so humiliated. I was like, man, I cannot believe that even training for as long as I have, which at the time was like seven months, training as long as I have that I got absolutely squashed. And that was the first time that I got introduced to this idea of like street swing or the differences in styles and dance. Because in the main ballroom dance industry, if you don't know, there's there's mainly two overarching styles, depending on which syllabus you work through. There's either American style or international style. And then from that, you'll get like nightclub style. Some people call um, 
these like beginner programs like social foundation or anyone can dance or whatever. And then you'll also encounter country Western style and each syllabi will have its, its way that it refers to these kind of adjacent folk dances or whatever. But when it comes to street swing or kind of a more informal or what you might call nightclub style, I had just never come in contact with that. I had been raised in a very traditional American style, you know, nine dance format for ballroom dancing. And as soon as I encountered people who were resurrecting the ideas of Balboa or Lindy Hop or Solo Charleston or Collegiate Shag, all of those other dance styles, I just had never encountered that. So the the world of swing dancing, my eyes were opened to it immediately. And I realized, man, I have a lot to learn. So that's kind of where my dance journey started, and it's been about six years since I had that epiphany, and I have been doing work to attend seminars, to go to various jazz festivals, and obviously to continue my education in the dance realm, especially from a pedagogical perspective, looking at how to teach and how to get people involved. And so Social Dance 3 podcast is is coming out of that idea. It's coming out of the idea that no matter where I've gone, I've driven across the United States, I've been to Portland, Denver, San Francisco, Seattle, New York, Chicago, and I've I've tried to clue into the dance a scene in any of those individual cities and it's there. I'm not saying that it's extinct, but as as a larger Um, lens when it comes to just regular old podunk towns in the middle of any given state, I've found that that dancing is kind of extinct. It's kind of not as prevalent as we dancers would like it to be. And, And social dance theory is all about making it much easier or or less scary to enter into the social dance or ballroom dance realm. And so I hope that this podcast can be a starter to that. And on that note, today's lesson is going to be all about how to start your dance journey, or even more specifically, the when, the what, and the where of dancing. And so the first kind of question we're going to ask ourselves is, is when to dance? And, and each of these questions are going to be both the question and under which circumstances is this true, right? So when to dance? Well, if you answer that question, it should be pretty simple for you. You should always find an opportunity to dance. But some people might say, well, there's no formal place for me to dance in my town or the area around me. So how am I supposed to find opportunities? Well, we live in an era in which you have a phone (laughs) and you have a computer. And if you don't have one, then other people might have one. And if you don't have that, then you can go to a place in your town that might have music playing. Now, this might sound extreme, right? But I've danced West Coast Swing in the aisles of Applebee's or Baskin Robbins as I'm waiting for ice cream. So I'm definitely a proponent of when you can dance, dance. Any anytime, anytime that there's music playing. And if there's no music playing, pick up your phone, go to Spotify. I've got plenty of playlists, if you follow me on Spotify, that you could use in order to do that. But if you search the keyword for any given dance, it'll come up. A playlist will come up. Don't worry about knowing how to identify the dance styles. For the most part, I've found that playlists on Spotify are pretty true to the style. And as a beginner, you you might you won't be able to discern you know, the differences in rhythms anyways. So, you know, you can be blissfully ignorant and, and, and pull up that, that playlist and just play the first song 
and see what you can find. If I use an example, say like salsa, right? Uh, one of my favorite songs is Mala by um, Mark Anthony. And it's, it's Mala, Mala, Mala y cara, right? That, that rhythm, just start diving into the music style and you'll find that you'll be able to pull up an example and then play that over your, your phone speakers. Maybe look up a YouTube video. We're trying to provide resources for uh, learning as well that are, that are video based and just dance, just practice. There's plenty of things that you can use your footwork to practice with. So when you should dance is, is pretty much any time, any time that there's music playing, any time that you have a joyful, happy feeling in your body, you should be looking to dance. Okay. And so that comes to the next question, which should be, what should I dance? In other words, what I mean by this question is what style of dance should I, should I choose? And oftentimes in the beginning of our dance journey, we're going to come to this impasse where we only have a few styles that we might know. Some people go their entire lives only learning one style even one style of swing, right? There's a, there's a whole genre that encompasses a lot of dances, but some people only use one style of swing. Where I'm from, country western swing, as it's called, which has a basic of kind of crossing outside partner with the right foot and then closing and rotating the circle like that. It's very informal, has a lot of dips and, and flips and tricks. And that's oftentimes the only style anybody knows. So when it comes to what to dance or deciding which style you're going to use, the first thing that you should look at is what you have already, what you know already. A lot of people know the walk to that we see in uh, Hitch, the movie, if you've ever seen that movie with Will Smith, you know, taking a sidestep and snapping, sidestep, snap, right? Whatever you've got, you can do that. A lot of people know how to sway. But if you take in a formal class, then start with what kind of rhythm am I listening to? Is it 4-4? Four, four? which is the case for most songs, four beats per measure and the quarter note gets the beat. Do you hear a blom, 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 Is it pretty consistent of a rhythm? If it's a consistent rhythm, then sometimes that might be a merengue, right? Merengue is very easy. You can do side together, side together, side together, side together, right? And attach with your partner. The hustle is a very good option depending on which style you dance. If you dance it with the four count basic, then it's just rock, step, march, march. And then you can get into the syncopated basic if you'd like. But that's all to consistent beats. So again, that blom, 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 really just anything that has a pretty heavy kick drum in the meat and potatoes rhythm of the song, then that'll be probably a hustle or a merengue or something that has pretty simple steps like that. Even country western swing, although the name implies that country western swing is supposed to be dance to country music, you really don't have to. And then obviously if you just take your partner two hands out, so if you're a lead, you can practice this. I'll just describe this right now. You can take both your hands and place them out in front of you at the hip level like you have two glasses of water. So you're really kind of cupping your hands almost like you're a little Lego man, right? You've got kind of a C shape to the way that you're cupping your hands. And then if you have your partner place 
their hands in your hands like they're getting a manicure so they're or they're they're dipping their fingers in the liquid of the drink that you're holding right you'll happen upon what's called an open position or a hook clasp position more specifically and you can use that to then initiate the steps for country western swing or hustle or merengue or anything like that if it has a consistent rhythm if it has a rhythm that's a little more complex but it's got a swing to it kind of it's right? Then you'll be able to dance swing. That's what swing means is has a swung rhythm, a special syncopation that, that gives it a jumpy feel, right? And you've got East Coast swing, you've got jitterbug, you've got Lindy Hop, you've got West Coast swing, all kinds of, of options there. Okay. So those are really the two, two things I like to teach, to be honest with you, if you look up the basic for jitterbug, now jitterbug as a term has a lot of confusion. You know, there's, there's, kind of a colloquial way to use it depending on the region that you're in. A lot of times jitterbug will be in reference to single time swing, the basic for which is side, side, rock step. But if you look up a video, you might also find Lindy Hop to be synonymous with jitterbug. And that's a whole nother kind of more complex basic and vice versa. You might see the basic for single time swing be called Lindy Hop. That's called regional variance. Anyway, if you go onto YouTube or Google and, and look up your, your jitterbug basic side, side rock step, that's a perfect basic to use for any songs that are upbeat, have a consistent rhythm, but they have a swing to them. Okay. So anything that's or anything that's a right, whatever, right. I'm just singing songs at this point, <laughs> but anything that's got a little bit of a rhythm, right. You can use examples of songs that might work for that is hit the road, Jack. That's a good swingy song that you can play that has kind of that rhythm. Right. You can play that and you can get a feel for what those kind of songs sound like. Okay. So those are, those are rhythm dances that you could definitely learn within 20 minutes. I mean, hustle, jitterbug, jitterbug's a little harder, but country, Western swing, all of those basics are very useful and very easy to learn almost immediately. You could watch a video at your table at some restaurant and then pick up somebody and, and swing them around. No problem. Okay, so that's that's kind of the what, what to dance. As far as slower dances go, or or really, we like the term medium-paced, because what does slow really mean? I mean, a lot of people listen to songs and think they're slow, and then they turn out to be 6-8, which is like Viennese Waltz, which is definitely not slow, so I find that hilarious. But if, it, if it's medium-paced, then it's going to be something like Quando, Quando, Quando. That's a good example. Smooth Operator, that's a good song. Wicked Games by Chris Isaac. That's a good, good song. And those are all what we call a rumba functionally. They're not traditionally a rumba, but we dance rumba to anything that's kind of medium paced and, and written by a singer songwriter, have that vibe, kind of a sultry medium paced vibe. Okay. And the rhythm for that is da da chicka da do do da da chicka da do do da da chicka da do do da da chicka da. And we'll have some resources. Um, me narrating kind of the audio version of these dance basics so that you can use them to follow along. But anything that's kind of got that pace. Okay, 
side together forward da da side together back or quick quick slow cool quick quick slow some syllabi does slow quick quick slow or whatever okay and so that's very easy the the rumba basic is in the shape of a square you'll do a side together and a forward step side together back six steps eight counts look it up on youtube you'll definitely be able to find a tutorial for the american rumba as well that upgrades to a closed frame so that's a little more intimate with your partner and it's a perfect perfect dance to learn for any wedding or if you're going out to an event that's going to have a dj and he mixes in some slower songs or medium paced songs great great dance and if you have those in your back pocket, I'm telling you right now, if you have the combination of country, western swing, and hustle, or jitterbug, any of those three dances, merengue even, any of those four dances that are more to consistent like pulse-based rhythms that are, that are faster or slower or whatever, and then you have one slow dance in your pocket you know rumba and then maybe if you add a little waltz in there for the three fours which are i'll tell you with live music not very common <laughs> to play a waltz or to hear a waltz but you'll hear it sometimes a lot of people like play tennessee whiskey or whatever uh you'll find that that is pretty much what you need i mean that is the pack right there any of our wedding clients that we are teaching both for their first dance or for just general dancing at their wedding that is the perfect pack i promise you if you learn the american rumba and then a, a rhythm dance of some kind if you want to get a little more spicy and learn salsa or something that is great you will 80 percent of songs that you hear i would even venture to say 90 percent of songs that you hear are going to be within the realm of kind of a medium paced or a fast paced rhythm that you could dance jitterbug hustle country western swing merengue or rumba and you only really have to choose rumba and then one of those dances see what i'm saying so that's that's the what and if you put those in your back pocket that is your toolbox that is like the way to start dancing immediately and getting out on the floor and even if you don't know any of those dances just get out there until you look up a tutorial, which I don't know why you wouldn't because usually tutorials are 10 minutes long and it's a pretty easy thing to to learn. We'll, we'll have some podcasts that are based around the theory of learning and, and things like that. But if you were to open up a video and just watch something and try and pick up those steps or even just take the steps you know out there and do it, the best practice that you can get, the best teacher that you can have is experience. You get out on the floor and embarrass yourself right or make yourself vulnerable you learn from that and that's the best advice i would have for the what the what right and so the last question that we come to is the where where am i going to dance and this one's a little more complicated it depends on what your style is if you're someone who can handle the atmosphere of a bar or a bistro even if you don't drink, if you like to go and eat good food and you have those type of places available to you, oftentimes those places are going to have live music. They're going to have some kind of performing artist that will be able to produce music for you. Now, of course, as you practice, there's going to be a difference between a recorded track on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to your music on and going out and dancing to live music, which is what makes live music fun is the unpredictability of it. It's kind of like theater in that sense. Live theater, there's nothing like it because you get a show, a different show every night. And that's the joy of being able to go and see something multiple times, right? 
But either way, if you're if you're a bar or bistro person, then go to that place. And likely in today's day and age, they're not really going to have a dancing section. And I'll, I'll, I'll ascertain that they probably have chairs and tables that are just strewn throughout the room and there's no real place that's open. Okay. So you might have to dance between chairs and tables. My local place that I like to go to, my studio's position right above one of the most popular restaurants in town, and they have live jazz every last Friday of the month. And then that same owner owns a bistro that's down the street. And they have just a little tiny section, maybe eight foot by 10 foot, that's open for people to come and dance to the live bands that they have. And you know what? As soon as we've started coming around and dancing at those places on Fridays and Saturday nights, they kind of expect it. So then you'll notice that those venues might start moving and clearing a space for you to be able to come and dance. And it's really economically good for them, okay? Because dancing is kind of still seen within the performance realm of things. So if you get out onto the floor, you'll be amazed, first of all, how many people come out on the floor with you, but also how that brings or attracts people in. If they if they come to know a venue to be a venue in which people go and dance, they'll at least come and watch. And it's good for that venue because that means more food sales, more more beverage sales, everything, right? And so as long as it's not like a corporate venue, I suppose, if it's a local bistro or bar and you go and you, you dance there and it's not really bothering anybody, then you might find that that actually has a positive social impact on what that restaurant's trying to accomplish, the whole ambiance or the feng shui of their, of their customer base. And so that's a good option for you. If you don't have a dance spot that's designated for dancing, then then try and make one. Legitimately, you know, wrangle up a group of your friends and, and say every Friday or every second Friday or whatever, we're going to go out to this place and we're going to dance, right? And that will, that will produce something. Karaoke nights, great place. I, there are many times, and I like to get down, you know, I like to, to go to some pretty shady spots, right? That are, that are, you know, smoking indoors, whatever. I don't have a pro, you know, I don't mind dancing pretty much anywhere. And those venues typically have karaoke on Thursdays or karaoke every night, maybe. And so try dance, try being the backup dancer to somebody's karaoke. See how much fun that is. I love that vibe. I love because karaoke people who go and sing karaoke are some of the funnest people. Anyways, those people love having a good time. They love singing. And I would, I would say they probably love dancing too. So Try and go be the backup dancer to someone's karaoke. It's fun. It's a very, I don't know, it's a very goofy time at the same time. It's, you never know what's going to happen, you know, but it's, it's, it's very good. And it's, and it's good practice for your floor craft, by the way, you know, avoiding objects on the floor or adapting to a circumstance in which you don't have a lot of space. And then of course, places that are designated for dancing. So if you have a dance hall around your city or a historic ballroom or somewhere that already has dance classes that you didn't really know about up to this point, then you that's that's a great that's a great option for you. I would say that those venues typically draw a certain kind of crowd as well. So be careful that you don't fall into at least this is my opinion, this is my opinion. You don't have to follow this advice, but don't fall into this attitude that you have to have a open dance floor with a perfect wood or whatever to dance on. I mean, I don't think 
you know, we can, we can do another episode on, on how dancing has evolved to be on such a pedestal in our society. But I don't think that the inventors of these moves that we're practicing were dancing on perfect dance floors. In fact, I know they weren't, they were dancing on top of tables. They were dancing squished between two couples eating. They were dancing on cobblestone floors or tiles. I promise you that's true. And so that's really the true spirit of, of social dancing is finding imperfect places to, to, to do. But, you know, of course, if you find a dance hall, that's, that's ideal. And it has a lot of large space or some kind of church that hosts dances or whatever, then that's a perfectly reasonable thing. I would just caution not to fall into the idea of thinking that's what you need to do. Okay. A bonus tip for all of this too, because a lot of people ask this is what do you wear? Well, you wear whatever you're going to be caught wearing. Okay, it's not ideal to be wearing tennis shoes, but if you wear tennis shoes and all you have is gym shoes, if the question is, should I dance or should I not dance? The answer is always you should dance. So dance in what you have. The proper ballroom dance shoe has either a one inch heel or kind of a two and a half inch Cuban heel with suede on the bottom. But by no means do you have to wait until you get a pair of uh, ballroom dance shoes or do you have to order them if you don't have the money to do so. By the way, if you do want to order some, capizio.com is a good place to order them or on Amazon. Um, You got to watch out for the suede on the bottom. You want to make sure it is suede and that it's not like felt. But if, if felt's all you can afford, that's great. Okay, I'm just saying that suede is the preferred option. And then with a shank, usually you'll see like a split sole shank or something in the shoe. Ladies have closed-toed or open-toed sandals typically for their shoes, which is kind of like a high heel that's either going to show off your pedicure or have a closed toe, which is typically for WTF, Waltz Tango Foxtrot. And anyways, that's a that's a tangent, but dance in whatever you have, okay? Dance in, in whatever you're dressed in, whatever you'll find yourself dressed in, because you'll find that having to get dressed can either be a great blessing for you. In other words, like planning as a date night and feeling this fancy vibe roll on, you know, if that's a if that's a date night idea for you and your partner then that's cool. Okay. But also it can be, it can be a cripple. It can be a, a roadblock in your, in your process to trying to dance. Cause you will feel like you have to wear something in particular. And if you're not wearing that, then you can't go out and dance. That is not true. So if that's standing in your way, I would just say, get out there. Just go, just, just be free, get out on the dance floor and be vulnerable and be, be free. Just, just, just go out and dance. And that's what I would say is my advice for the what, the when, the where, and also what to wear when it comes to dancing. So I hope you enjoyed the first episode of our podcast here. I'm Sean. Like I said before, that's pronounced Sean, like the letter K in the name Sean. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. If you are a newcomer to social dancing, or if you're another professional that wants to reach out and talk to me, then it is social dance theory on Facebook as well as Instagram. And I would love to speak to other professionals in the industry as well as other practitioners of social dance. And by professional, I mean other teachers maybe, but even if you're not a teacher, please reach out to me. 
and let me know. Send me pictures of your dance journey or, or update me on on what it is. I want to make friends as I travel across the country. I want to know that there are places that I can go that I can dance at any given time. So, so happy that you're here and I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.